Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to stories of discipleship and putting Scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of just fewer than 1,000 churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. I'm also a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church, so what you hear on this show truly comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 25 years' experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teenagers to 90-somethings, and I served as a journalist for 20 years prior to entering ministry. So I'm excited to share with you stories of disciples in action and to explore with you what the Bible has to teach us in the 21st century. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes feature interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. Still others include short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. been a while. I really hadn't planned to be off for this long from the podcast. It's just that the realities of life kind of caught up to me. I had a leg surgery this past summer, followed by an oral surgery that was necessitated by kind of a freak accident. And then it was just catching up after all those life circumstances. So I want to thank all of you for being patient while you've waited for new episodes of In Layman's Terms. And I want to thank you for joining me as I try to get back into the swing of things. In this episode, I'm joined by Bishop David Wilson. You might remember that he was elected November 2nd, 2022 as the first Native American bishop in the history of the United Methodist Church. Two days later, he was assigned to the Great Plains Conference where he started officially as the Episcopal leader on January 1st, 2023. I wanted to speak with the bishop about Native American Heritage Month, which we honor throughout November. It's an opportunity to celebrate the heritage of people indigenous to the Americas and to celebrate their many contributions to our society. Bishop Wilson joined me for a conversation on November 14th so about halfway through this important month. I started with a question about how his election had quite literally changed his life. This is an exciting and fun month for indigenous peoples as much of what, we, much of what society does uh, is highlighted through you know, uh, specials on PBS and on the radio and books, social media. So it's, it's uh, our folk are... are very pleased to have this attention of really to help educate folk about who we are and to remind folk of the, our presence and the contributions that we believe we make uh, to the world. And, and, and as you mentioned, you know, uh, November 2nd was our anniversary of being elected, myself and Bishop Williamston and Bishop Merrill. I saw them last week in uh, the Council of Bishops meeting, so it was fun to see them, and we talked about that and just uh, just realizing it's been a year since the elections, although it feels longer than that. Some days it probably feels like it was yesterday, <laughs> and sometimes it's like, wow, that was 10 years ago. I know, it, it does. And we saw the photo, photos and other stuff. I thought, wow, for that. Uh, you know, first of all, to be you know, elected uh, as a whole with uh, two colleagues and then uh, being, I guess, as you said, the first indigenous bishop has been pretty uh, been interesting for folk. And, and, and when I first arrived in the Great Plains, I asked several folk and maybe asked, you as well about uh, 
you know, as I travel and as we do services to, uh, uh, I'm not used to the word highlight, but just to be who I am as an indigenous person as well. So to be able to use, uh, highlight that in terms of stories and dress and the rest, and folk have been very receptive of that. I, you know, wrestled with that, but uh, people have always told me, David, when you go to your new position, just be who you are. And they still tell me that. Well, and there's a reality of, there's a curiosity. Mm -hmm, there is. Uh, mm -hmm. People who look like me, and for those mm -hmm. of you who don't know mm -hmm. what I look like, I'm a pasty white guy. Mm -hmm. um, people who look like me sometimes have a curiosity yeah. if they've never mm -hmm. had a relationship yeah. with a person who is indigenous to, the, to this country, then to this land, mm -hmm. then they are, you know, they're kind of, well, um, I don't know who this guy is. And yeah. I kind of want to know who he is. And it gives you an opportunity to uh, kind of answer questions before they even come yes. up, I guess. Yes, yeah, and that's been fun. I mean, I appreciate folks' uh, energy and excitement, uh, inquisitive nature about my story. And, and I forget that, Todd, uh, folk want to know my story, you know, where I received my call and my life in the church. And I so appreciate folk asking. It happens everywhere. Uh, but to be able to share that, and I think the other piece is to help. Uh, there's very few churches I've been to when somebody doesn't talk about their native heritage or stories from the area. Kansas and Nebraska has great, great history. I don't want to say great in terms of what happened, but great, great history in terms of interactions with tribes that once uh, once were part of this, uh, Kansas and Nebraska. And so folk are always very anxious to tell me the stories or on a few places taking me to sites historical sites, and I really appreciate um, that piece and being able to do that and, and to share stories. I think, you know, uh, for our, our indigenous people, stories are an important part of who we are, so we get to share those stories and sermons from place to place uh, to talk about our values, who we are. You know, I've, I have shared, as you know, uh, often, uh, you know, I talk about, you know, 500, 572 tribes at least in the country. And although we're so different, languages, culture, I find those three uh, values of community, relationship, and hospitality everywhere I go across this country, Indian country, and across the world. It is amazing how so many people, I mean, basically for folks who don't understand, that's 572 different nations. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just like Germany, France, mm -hmm. Switzerland, Norway, uh, the European nations, that really was what was here in the Americas. Yes. Um, and, and for all of the differences, because they were different, because, mm -hmm. you know, they were, di they yeah. were separated for a reason. <clears throat> but those three aspects really are, I have found, and, and, uh, since you've been here, obviously I've, I've done more research. i got to learn about the new boss, right? So, mm -hmm. so I've done way more research <laughs> and reading um, and had opportunities, frankly, since you've been here. We'll get into that a little bit, yeah. a bit later um, to learn more. And what's been interesting to me is that there are those commonalities mm -hmm. woven through mm -hmm. Um, indigenous peoples, particularly the ones that were in this part of the country. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah for sure. And and I, um, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm back in Oklahoma among uh, tribal peoples, and just it's just a natural fit to be back, right back that we experienced those three things, and and uh, those and uh, so it's fun to be able to share those stories and people who are interested, and I share them often because I get to travel across the two uh, states. You know, the other thing of being um, uh, the first and only indigenous bishop is you get asked to do everything. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to get into that. So just so you know, I, the bishop and I haven't been in the same zip code 
for more than about 24 hours for yes. almost two months mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is because you do get asked to be mm-hmm. in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't want to sound disingenuous and say parading you around, mm-hmm. but to some extent you've got to guard against that, yeah, right? Yeah, I do. Sure, I do, yeah. To make sure that you're not just the eye candy kind of thing. You're there for a reason. Yes. Um, yes. How has that been for you, and how have you kind of coped with that because yeah. you have been on the road a lot? Oh, yeah. I have, I have been uh, before uh, this week, been on the road for three weeks. Uh, at least I have been uh, and and uh, to do that and and uh, that's been interesting uh, in itself because some places I, I, I want to learn about the indigenous uh, work in Kansas and Nebraska and have made some great connections you know really done some good work with uh, with the um, uh, Commission on Indian Affairs for the state of Nebraska I've been to two or three of their events been invited uh, to learn to be a part of their events doing prayers and just to learn uh, and that's been fascinating. And trying to do the same here in Kansas and uh, have met with tribal leaders who came to our boarding school event and other places. I yearn, I yearn to find out who those people are, not just for myself, but also for uh, communities. When we was at the annual conference, uh, somebody from one of the towns near the Forever Reservation in Kansas said, you know, we'd love, we're not too far from these tribes. We'd love to have to do, do work with them. And so those, those are opportunities for me to help them create some uh, community and relationship to introduce them. So that's a big piece, piece of why I want to learn more about what's going on in Kansas. And Nebraska, my other piece, was, which is people are trying to help me with, is learning how to say no, that I can't get to all of these events. And I just lately, Barb said, I see you said you finally said no to an event. I said, yes, I did. I was just worn out. Uh, because I, you I get asked. To say, it, you know. I have to say I was very proud. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> the, the bishop... Uh, we were talking about Barb Black, who is his mm-hmm. uh, executive assistant, and uh, I was very proud. I was copying on an email to something that the bishop said and, and politely declined mm-hmm. a speaking engagement that would have required another plane trip, yes, another yes. several days in a hotel. Yes. So I was prou- yeah. I was proud of you, Bishop. Thank you. I was too. I was too. <laughs> uh, and, and you know, this uh, was in the Council of Bishops meeting last week, and you know, one of the things that doesn't happen there, but I wish it would, that we had opportunities opportunities to visit with our newly elected colleagues to say, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you maintain schedule? And I was visiting with a very seasoned bishop, a Latino bishop, and she said, I told her, I said, my main thing is I get asked to do all the stuff. She said, she said, you just need to, she didn't tell me to learn to say no, but she said, you just got to figure out um, where am I most needed at? And of course, my priority is for the work of this annual conference. That's my main focus where I need to be at, but she gets some great wisdom to say, can this event happen without me? And when I keep that in mind, most of those can. I think as being a first-year bishop, you want to do everything you can, and then you wear yourself out in the process. And so she gave me some great wisdom, which I'm keeping and hoping as I look ahead, I can uh, I can uh, put that wisdom into practice. <laughs> so, so what, what are the, one of the uh, ways that you helped folks in the Great Plains become a little bit more educated about the culture that you come mm-hmm. from, uh, was you had uh, the cabinet and you invited me, which mm-hmm. I was grateful mm-hmm. for, and uh, some folks from our Mercy and Justice team to go on a uh, what we call the Native American Cultural Immersion mm-hmm. Trip uh, back in August. August in Oklahoma. Oh, gosh. Not, not necessarily <laughs> the best time to be there, but, uh, but, it, but it was a fantastic trip. Uh, I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing just a little bit about what your thought process was in, inv- in making that invitation mm-hmm. and how intentional you were with <clears throat> some of the things that we went to sure. and saw. Yeah, yeah. so in August, and 
Oklahoma, 100, 100 plus and, and the humidity. Uh, and we did a lot of walking and stuff outside. And I was so thankful that the cabinet uh, was engaged and, and did all of that. When I first, when, and, and other folk asked me about this too, when I first thought about going to Oklahoma, Todd was uh, opportunity for people to see where I come from. And there's a lot of people we met or friends of mine, relatives of mine, uh, who have who have shaped me. So I wanted folks to say, this is where our bishop comes from. This is his community. And I think that was my first piece to be able to do that. And the other was to, you know, as I talk about these values of uh, community, hospitality, and relationship, that the, all the came could see that in action. And I think they did. I think you witnessed it at the meals and presentations and where we have, wherever we happen to be, people... Uh, I, th- I think we all saw that. And it wasn't, I didn't tell anyone, make sure you do this, that's just who they are. And that's what they shared. And so that was a, another opportunity opportunity for us to see that in practice. And to say, how do we uh, use this? Or how do we remember these values when we go back to Kansas and Nebraska to our local churches, our areas? So how can we, I want to say implement, but how can we utilize these values in our in our ministries? I kind of want to run through just some of the places that we went and sure. saw, and then I'll explain why we're going through those for sure. everybody in just a moment. So uh, one of the first places we went to was the First Americans Museum mm-hmm. in Oklahoma City. Um, tremendous uh, uh, tremendous facility, mm-hmm. uh, tells the story of so many people, yeah. and the history, the, the sad history of, of uh, enslavement and mm-hmm. then um, um, exile. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, I mean, right. those are the yeah. words I think are appropriate. Um, so tell me a little bit about the First Americans Museum. You, you've had an important role to play in that museum, so tell people a little bit about that and, and some of the things that you're particularly proud of. Sure. The late uh, Senator Kelly uh, Haney, who was a full-blood Seminole, who was a member at my church at Norman when I was there, uh, that was his dream since the early 90s of having a gathering place for the 39 tribes in Oklahoma to be. And so he started with the state legislature, and at the time he was a part of that, went well, uh, uh, changed. And so the legislators began to fight against that being built because they felt like the tribes had all this money, which they didn't, and they wanted them to do that. And so um, it went well for a while, then hit this hit this, these roadblocks of being constructed. And I was uh, pastoring uh, at Norman also doing a superintendency job. I was doing two things. And, knew, and the people who ran it were not always members, but they were connected to our churches, and I knew them. So I would go by and see them and have a prayer with them, visit with them. And every time it went to the legislature, the first two or three years it failed, and they would be crushed. Put all kinds of time into this. So I would always go to see them. And then when it passed, uh, of course, I went to see them again and offered prayer. So I've had that relationship with them from day one. And even as later as it was under construction, uh, part of my personal journey was to go and pray over the site, not because they asked me to, but because I did without anybody knowing it because prayer is such an important part of our lives and who we are. And so to see that place come up and, you know, tells the story of those 30, of our 39 tribes, uh, uh, and it's a proud, proud place for our indigenous peoples to call home because it tells our story and it's ours and run by Native people, built by, you know, created by Native people who tells our story uh, from our own people, not from other people. And so uh, when I was there, I'd be there once a month doing some kind of event and so uh, that's been a very, it's a very uh, great place of pride anytime we go and gather. And a lot of our Indian Methodists who are part of not just the staff, but volunteers and the rest at that place. 
it does an amazing <coughs> job of telling the history of the tribes in Oklahoma um, and how Oklahoma became Indian country. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, we had an amazing tour guide. Tall guy that mm -hmm. was uh, quick yes. with quips on a lot mm -hmm. of different things mm -hmm. and poked a little fun at us every mm -hmm. now and then, which mm -hmm. I thought was good. Mm -hmm. but, but the education uh, yeah. there, I thought, was, was the most uh, uh, critical piece uh, to it. Um, next day, we went to a uh, site of the Washita Massacre. Mm -hmm. Uh, now, my, my wife was originally ordained in the old Rocky Mountain Conference, mm -hmm. and so we were very familiar with the Sand Creek Massacre. Yes, yes. Um, Washita was one I had not heard of, even though the, almost the same people yeah. were involved in both. Yeah. Um, why was it important for you to take people to that site? Well, you know, two things. You named one of those already, is that connection of Washita, Shine Arapaho people, who um, uh, earlier had been part of, who some of those folk had been, uh, part of the part of that massacre at Sand Creek, the people who who uh, survived and escaped. So some of those same families who were part of that, Custer uh, came and uh, massacred a, a village of almost all women and children. The men were away, and uh, I, I two things. I wanted folks to see that connection with the role the Methodist Church had with Sand Creek, to say these are the same group of folk, and this is you know this is kind of this is the place uh, history that. We don't hear about of what the government has done to our people, uh, peaceful people, and and since it's a really the only kind side of its kind in the state of Oklahoma, I wanted folks to see that. Almost any time I have visitors, we take them out there. It's about a two and a half hour drive from Oklahoma City. It's a you remember that it's in the far western yes. part of Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, when you pull up, it looks like uh, any other national park type site mm -hmm. that you would get mm -hmm. to. Um, the difference is you walk on a path. Mm -hmm. You walk down toward where the river, uh, the Washita mm -hmm. River is. We never really got to directly the river, but we mm -hmm. get down into that area, and then there's a tree. Yeah, uh, a tree where people tie ribbons. Mm -hmm. And if you tell a little bit about what the significance of those ribbons are. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I, before we arrived, I gave uh, all the members a little cloth ribbons, uh, red, yellow, black, and white. Those are colors for indigenous peoples. They all have different meanings and representations. And anywhere there are sacred sites, you'll find those ribbons of all sizes across the country for indigenous people. And so that's the, the side, the tree by the river, which was once part of it, but it's, it's you know, the time has changed. And so people pray over those ribbons, and then we tie them onto a tree or to whatever's around us. So that's always a place where people stop and they'll pray and tie those ribbons in remembrance of the history, sometimes for repentance, uh, often just remembering what happened there and, and praying for many many things there and that's always significant I think for folks to be able to recognize and when you arrived Todd you remember there were many many ribbons here already uh there a ton ton yes. yeah um, <clears throat> but it was a very moving experience more so than yeah. what I was really expecting um mm -hmm. because I think when you get to the tree by then you've heard the story mm -hmm. you kind of as the the guide is telling you things as you mm -hmm. go down you had prepped us and we had some materials that we got to read ahead mm -hmm. of time that really helped prepare mm -hmm. us so, when you got to the area around the tree, there was just this feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, and so you, you do kind of get that, uh, I don't know if it was goosebumps or, mm -hmm. or, or what, but mm -hmm. you do kind of get that feeling yeah. where this is a sacred place. Yeah. yeah, and I always get that. I've been out that site about once a year at least, sometimes twice. But right there, Todd, you're right. It's a sacred place and for indigenous people who believe the spirits of our the people who were there are still around. But you think about the water where the women and children tried to escape. 
uh, right there by the tree, uh, but just, just in that corner that is a very sacred place where you can feel, this, feel so many emotions there uh, physically and spiritually. And it's, it's yet another story that we don't hear in school. Yes, yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's at least true. I know I didn't. Yes. We, we took one detour that wasn't necessarily Native American culture there. Mm -hmm. We went to Tulsa. Yes. Uh, and we went to the area of the Tulsa massacre, mm -hmm. uh, the Tulsa race massacre. Um, obviously, that didn't wasn't directly tied to Native American history, mm -hmm. but it's certainly a part of our racial justice yeah. history. Mm -hmm. uh, why, why, why was that important for you to, to take us on that little detour? Because Tulsa was a little bit further away than, than where we were staying. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. So it, was, it, was, it had to be a very intentional trip for us. So it was. Tell, it was. tell us a little bit about why that was important. It was. You know, the Tulsa Greenwood, like the uh, Washington Massacre and so many others, it's part of history that never taught in schools. Uh, folks never knew about it. Although growing up, we heard bits and pieces. It really wasn't until it's centennial that it began, uh, began uh, gained its prominence and these new museums and interactive centers near where this uh, one successful neighborhood of African-American folks thrived, had everything, uh, one of the wealthiest places around and folk didn't like that. The connection with indigenous people, that uh, where that was at, I believe, some of the land was given from one of the tribes for the area. And so they're in the boundaries of either, the, uh, in the boundaries of the uh, Cherokee Nation, Oklahoma, uh, uh, Greenwood District is. So that was our, our, our tie and also see uh, uh, just for folks to witness what happened in uh, Tulsa along with uh, uh, Washita. What's interesting, Todd, if you recall, when we got to Washita, it's called the Washita Battlefield Site. Yes. And clearly it's a massacre. When you get to Tulsa, it's a Tulsa massacre site, a Greenwood massacre there. And, and uh, part of that had to do with just, just to get the government to build the Washita Center, that's what they would agree on. They didn't want to call it a massacre site. I don't know if it makes what makes people feel. And when we were there once with a group of United Women of Faith, they said, what, is it, what does it take for us to change that name? And they said an act of Congress, yeah. literally. Yep. And so, so someone always asked that question. And so I wanted them to see, you know, here we got this place called a battlefield, which it clearly wasn't. And then the massacre for Tulsa, both were massacres, but just the way that they were, those similarities, and uh, the role that government plays in well, both of those. Tulsa, it was just more recently. You mentioned the yeah. hundred years. Really, mm -hmm. it was when it was started to, to people finally started mm -hmm. to recognize for what it was. Because because yeah. the only time I had ever heard about it was the Tulsa race riot. Yeah, yes. which has a totally yes, different connotation yeah. than a massacre. Right. Yeah, and the race riot by calling it the riot. Uh, many of uh, the government and other people, uh, insurance companies got out of paying insurance because it's a riot, not a massacre. And so that's how they worked around it there. Uh, but, but still those commonalities for how indig indigenous and racial people, racial ethnic people have been treated, not just in Oklahoma, but all over. Uh, but I thought that was, be a, that was a powerful place, a uh, wonderful interactive museum that you recall mm -hmm. and just to Absolutely. be there. This one thriving community that's still trying to rebuild and gain some prominence uh, just to tell its story. And I th think just uh, last week, uh, one of the survivors, well, three or four weeks ago, one of the survivors passed away, like 102. And then last week, another survivor celebrated 106th birthday. Wow. Can you imagine that? Uh, uh, she was, I think, eight when that massacre happened. Wow. Yeah. 
we ended on a high note. <laughs> uh, you took us to the yes. Ponca Pow Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about what the Pow Wow was like <clears throat> and your relationship with the folks who were our, our hosts. Sure, yeah, event. sure. You know, part of that, when I've, you know, I've done many immersions before with college groups, seminary groups, and others, and it's a tough week of what you hear and witness all week. So we always try to end on a high note by getting to a powwow. Uh, in a celebration where among the Ponca Nation of Oklahoma, people come from all over, you know, by campers and the rest to be thousands out there. And so we, uh, my predecessor, the late Reverend Dr. Thomas Ruffay Sr., full-blood Ponca, was conference superintendent, knew his family well, uh, you know, his daughter, a uh, member of my church at Norman, at Norman, the grandkids, none of them all. And so when he passed away, the family adopted me as their brother. I did Tom's service, his wife's service. I do still do most of those. And so they always camp. All the families will camp, and so they always love to have uh, guests. So I called them. I had about 25 people come and come. They said, sure, come on up. And they were so excited to host. I had friends from Stillwater that came in Dallas, came just to help them feed and get ready for us to be there. So you experience the great hospitality of Native Foods and to hear their stories. Such good uh, food. The hospitality was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and just the spirit of the people who were there. Yeah. Um, you know, they were eager to engage us in conversation. Everyone, and talk. yeah. yeah. Uh, they wanted stories about you. <laughs> just so you know. Um, that's one thing i got to make sure everybody understands. When you go with Bishop Wilson to Oklahoma, you are traveling with a rock star. He knows everybody, and they know him. And mm. they, they want to they, they get pictures taken with him. Yes. They want to be around him. So Yeah, and folks I hadn't seen since probably since I was elected and so it's fun to, fun to be back and you know we got to got to experience some of the beautiful dances uh, that you saw um, there and um, you know we were we, you know it was probably 90 it was an evening about 90 at, at the lowest maybe 95 still we all experienced that and there were women out there in buckskin dresses that don't breathe uh, men in regalia uh, children in regalia and so when you see them dance that sense of pride saying this is who God has created me to be and this is my culture culture and who I am and the sad part taught in some of the tribes uh, early on when the first white missionaries came many of our people were told not to dance they said you can't do anything that makes you native with one or the other and um, and the Ponca people although many are United Methodists today uh, very proud people and they, they continue their dances and ceremonies and and they and they We'll talk about that, and that was a highlight for me just to see them dance and 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 to see the smiles and families gather and grandparents getting their grandchildren ready, and uh, just to be able to watch and experience that. So I, I'll have a link in in our show notes. I've got a photo album of a hundred and mm-hmm. something pictures. Mm-hmm. I can't remember how many I took, but I had a lot of fun with mm-hmm. the limbs that night of of uh, taking photos and finding the right gaps to get yes. just the perfect image and. And uh, a couple of the it was it was youth night when mm-hmm. we were there, and a couple of the a couple of the young men um, saw what I was doing, and it came when it came time for them to go out there, I could see that they like spotted where <laughs> I was, and they and they and they kind of played to the camera. Which I love I thought, that. I thought that was a lot. I of love fun. that. And you can kind of tell because uh-huh. I got, they're the, they're the ones that are straight <clears> in the lens. Yeah. Um, the rest of the time where I was seated uh, or standing rather, I was at a kind of a curve, and so. They were paying attention to what was going on because these dances are really elaborate stories. Yeah, yeah, right? they mean, are. That's what a lot yeah. of people don't mm-hmm. understand. <clears throat> and so they're focusing on what the next 
thing is mm-hmm. I, I equated it and I had a good discussion with a, a woman who was there uh, who was also taking pictures I think of her grandson or granddaughter uh, she was explained to me that it's it's like a gymnastics routine mm-hmm. uh, to help just people understand. I mean, telling the story mm-hmm. and understanding mm-hmm. the way that that would go. Mm-hmm. It, it was just, it, it was a, it was a great time. So uh, a lot of really colorful images yes. that, that uh, are available for people. Yeah, you took some uh, you took some great photos of which I've used from time to time as well. Uh, but that and that of course that dance went on from Thursday till Sunday. Uh, we were there on a Friday. Saturday would be even. More people, and she's noticed hundreds of young kids out there of all ages who come out there and, and enjoy that. And Todd and most of those folk out there, they're all related. And so they all, all look after each other's kids and families. And, again, uh, for and they get out of line, it, it'll get back to the camp by the time they get back uh, for you that. Can't get away with anything yes, else. because, because <laughs> everyone out there is your grandma, your grandpa, your aunts and uncles, and your uh, relatives. Not, I mean, some most of my blood, but in other ways when we adopt people into our families there but it's a joy to see uh, culture still celebrated and uh, reminded you can still be who God created you to be as an indigenous person and a Christian person that's where earliest missionaries got that so wrong okay uh, I want before we leave that that topic um, this was just the first excursion for the mm-hmm. Great Plains yes to this kind of thing yes. our mercy and justice team um, has a immersion trip planned for, I believe it's March of 2024. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can sign up for that on the conference website. Um, why do you think it's important, Bishop, to have more people other than just the, your, your cabinet and, sure. and, and directors go and see what's going on down there and, and, and learn the history? Sure. I think, and I think the March group will, be, will do more in-depth work that we did around issues of social injustice, uh, which you'll find everywhere. And, and I think that's, that would be more the focus. And, I, I, again, I think it's the education piece because I think it's mostly younger persons who will be there in March. Uh, that's what it's geared for, uh, who are more apt to go and learn and to come back and work towards change. That's what, that's what they do. And so it will be a great educational piece when they come back and say, okay, here's what we saw, so what are we going to do about this? And, and, and the issues that happen in Oklahoma also happen in Kansas. You know, we have four reservations here in Kansas. Uh, Nebraska, I think there's four reservations uh, in Nebraska, if I recall. So the same issues are in both states uh, there. And so I'm hoping people come home and say, how do we make a difference? And how do we uh, interact with folk that we have not before on, you know, Native peoples? And so how do we, uh, how do we claim that for our own? So that's a big piece, I think, for, for the March trip. And then also they'll go and see much of what we've got to experience and and will uh, think the lives will be touched, and they will uh, they will understand like we did just our commonality of who we are. You know, folk in Nebraska, most everybody I meet in Nebraska knows about Chief Standing Bear, and and you know his case against uh, in the court to prove that he was a human being. Uh, you know, but Ponca folk in Oklahoma, those are his, those are relatives there uh, to him, and so just to also understand this history making person that's highlighted all over Nebraska everywhere I go people tell me about which I love and uh, for folks who come back and and realize the those contributions that folk have made for our own people and for others around the world another thing that we have done in recent months uh, <clears throat> September 30th we, yes. we had a we, we participated in the National Day of Remembrance for mm-hmm. US Indian boarding schools mm-hmm. and for folks who don't understand <clears throat> what that is um, 
Native children often were in an effort to um, Americanize them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know other mm -hmm. way to put that. Uh, were basically taken from their families and in many cases taken hundreds of miles away from their families mm -hmm. and placed in boarding schools where they were mistreated. Uh, they were not allowed to participate in any of their native cultural mm -hmm. um, types of activities. They had to cut their hair. Um, they were not allowed to speak their language. Um, in essence, it was an attempt to extinguish or mm -hmm. make extinct the native cultures of each of these yeah. of each of these children. Yeah. Um, that's another thing we did not learn in school. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Now, those of you who are fans of Yellowstone, uh, the 1923 prequel uh, series featuring Harrison Ford, they actually detail a side story is a, a young woman trying to escape from a boarding mm -hmm. school. In fact, she does escape <clears throat> in that. Um, from what I understand, that's not too far from what was really happening. Yeah. Uh, um, and it's pretty graphic, so I'll just warn you, if you want to check that mm -hmm. out, just be prepared. Um, but we, had, as a conference, we had never participated mm -hmm. in that before. Our, our <clears throat> Committee on Native American Ministries, uh, under your direction, mm -hmm. uh, started mm -hmm. that process mm -hmm. this year. And so the first time we hosted that, and it was in Lawrence this time. Mm -hmm. uh, why was that important, do you, do you think, Bishop, for people to see... Uh, and then I'll get into all the things that CONAM did to help that make that happen. Sure. You know, yeah, September 30th, you know, talked about being a day of remembrance across the country. And so my former conference in the Oklahoma Indian Mission Conference, we started doing that about four or five years ago. And Oklahoma had like 80 boarding schools. Most were run by the tribes. It's a different, uh, many were different scenario. And so when I came out, you know, learned that Kansas, I believe, has eight, had eight boarding schools, still has... Haskell, which used to be a boarding school, Haskell Indian Nations, and uh, and then Kansas had eight, and I think the Omaha tribe still runs one. Uh, it, it's different now. It's run by indigenous folk, language cultures included. And so I thought this would be a great opportunity for uh, people of the Great Plains to learn about that history, and most did not know. We wanted to be at Haskell Indian Nations. That didn't work out. So we went to uh, United Methodist Church in Lawrence and uh, wasn't sure how many people would come out, but it was packed. Even had overflow room. So, so I'll just confess. So it was at my wife's church, Lawrence Central mm -hmm. United Methodist Church, and we chose it because we thought, okay, if seventy people show up, we can make <laughs> it look pretty full, and if a lot of people show up, we have a way to do overflow. Yes. And we ended up having to do yes. the overflow, yes. which, which which was great. <clears throat> so there was a little bit of an optic strategy there. I'll just be totally honest with everybody. Yes. Um, the our, our CONAM, our community, our, our committee on Native American Ministries, um, that was really kind of their first big event, it was, yeah. at least since I've been mm -hmm. in the annual conference. It was so important to them to do a good mm -hmm. job with it. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we had uh, an amazing speaker, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, actually several several speakers. Mm -hmm. We had musicians. Um, mm -hmm. it, it was it was just a, I thought it was a great day, but I think more importantly, I think a lot of folks walked away feeling like they understood something yeah. that they had not been exposed to before. Yeah, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think you're right, folk who came and who were educated. And I was, I was, I was so pleased, Chief Ben Barnes, uh, the Shawnee tribe was, our main speaker, he's also a member of the new, not new, of the Native American uh, Boarding School uh, Coalition. Uh, just just been named to that lately, but he was our speaker. We had uh, state representatives, tribal representatives, tribal chairmen that came out. And so a, a good representation for the Native community. So that meant that people, they saw what we were doing. Only a handful of those were United Methodists who saw what we were doing and were so pleased that we highlighted that day and 
told that story uh, from an uh, from an indigenous uh, perspective. It's a great day, and we plan to do that each year, at least at least while I'm here as the bishop. Uh, and so we'll we'll try to move around both Kansas and Nebraska each year to do one of those on September 30th, uh, or, or whatever day they happen up that they happen to fall on a Saturday. But I was so pleased with the turnout and with all so many people who came and who were moved by what they learned and uh, who who are also people who will help, help us to tell that uh, proper story. And I thought one of the cool things that our CONAM team did was the uh, orange is the mm -hmm. color, uh, mm -hmm. designated color mm -hmm. for this event. And so they arranged to have little orange ribbons. Yeah. And I don't remember the number, but it was more than 1,000 that were ordered by churches across the Great Plains. It was over 3,000. 3,000, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um, it was a ton. Of, I just mm -hmm. know there was a lot. I, I, kudos. Yes. Kudos to the folks who put those together. Yeah. I did not touch those. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they ordered, ordered those. And I, and I was at an event uh, after that, well after that, taught a couple of weeks uh, somewhere. And a couple of people were wearing the orange uh, ribbons. And I was so happy to see that. And uh, in this, and and see people recognizing their history and uh, and just offering that kind of support in that way. And so I think next year to grow, you know, they meld those ribbons to churches. I think next year they, they will do the same and will probably double that amount. Mm -hmm. And 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 we hope. But I think next year we're well. We'll, we'll figure out where we're going to be at. We we'll hope maybe be back at Haskell if we can. If not, we have many places to get to, uh, and we'll plan. Uh, start their planning soon, but they, that committee did a great job and was so happy with their enthusiasm and just being able to uh, be a part of that. So those were operated largely by churches, mm -hmm. the board and schools, <clears throat> yeah. including forerunners of the United Methodist Church. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so needless to say, we have not the best legacy. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think we can, I think we can <clears throat> right. agree on that, uh, and that's sugarcoating it by quite yes. a bit. Um, I wonder, Bishop, if you wouldn't mind telling people a little bit how you reconcile that, help people understand the church that you serve mm -hmm. was one of the people who propagated mm -hmm. this on mm -hmm. Native peoples, and yet you and so many other indigenous people mm -hmm. are United Methodists. Yes. And not just United Methodists. You are proud to be United Methodists. Yes, yes. Um, Lawrence Indian United Methodist Church is in the community where mm -hmm. I live. Yes. Um, uh, my wife and I have had the privilege of interacting with mm -hmm. a lot of the folks in that mm -hmm. in that church. Uh, they do an amazing taco sale, mm -hmm. uh, Indian taco sale mm -hmm. every month. That's one reason. Yes. But we've also had uh, joint worship services and done some other things with them in the time that we've been in Lawrence. And it's just amazing to me how people can be forgiving mm -hmm. and <clears throat> and can embrace the message. Yeah. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that as somebody who's a bishop sure. uh, yeah. in this church. You know, uh, um, I was, uh, again, these uh, services I did, I was with the Lutheran Church Seminary uh, recently and in another campus, uh, mostly non-Native people. And, you know, I'll tell some of those stories about boarding schools for the rest and people, uh, well, even the Council of Bishops meeting, I shared that story about boarding schools. And I said, so I wrestled with that as a, uh, indigenous bishop, now bishop, and, and as a, uh, you know, the child of God. And I said, so I sometimes, people people will ask me, especially when I do presentations, they'll say, why why would you stay a Christian given all that the church has done to indigenous people? Which is a great, it's a fair question. And so, and I share people, I say, you know, this has been my legacy and part of a tribe that uh, accepted Christianity in the 1820s, 
the Indian missionary compass goes back 180 years. And so this is built into me and to my family. I can't change that. You know, and my, the witness of indigenous women and men who, uh, who uh, mentored me, who raised me in my little Indian Methodist church and family, uh, you know, I, they, they were great witnesses of, of Christ. Uh, and, and so I carry that with me because I see value in what the church really intends to be, not what we're known for. From early on, she talked about what the church required us to do, give up your culture, become Christians, and all of that. That's built into many of us. And so, uh, like the Ponca folks, learn how, to, learn how to achieve that balance of being native and being a Christian. So that's always my response. And Dr. Betsimon, I tell the story often, Full Blood Kiowa from Oklahoma, said uh, uh, his church is over 100 years old. His mother's a product of Carlisle Indian Voting School. He tells that story. And he said, people ask us the same question. And, and he said, so uh, early on, our, when our tribe is being evangelized, they asked the missionaries, so what is this Christianity all about? So, well, it's about being good to each other, taking care of one another, and loving one another. And they said, we already do that. And so the, the crux of being a Christian, uh, the message of Christ, is so, uh, so similar to our indigenous beliefs that that was an easy sell. You know, we thought, we, you know, we do that, we can carry this on. It's just a manner in which the Christians, uh, early missionaries carried it out, and the government, as they sought to take our land as more and more immigrants came. And so I still wrestle with that. When I hear those stories, boarding schools and others, it bothers me a lot, and, and especially for folk who aren't native folk who have never been a part of the church who still wonder why we can be a part of that. But we see value, see value in the church, see hope in the church, understand the message of Jesus Christ to go and love the world and understand the prophets. You know, what does the Lord require, require of you but to be kind, love justice, walk humbly with God. Those are things that are uh, just a part of our DNA as indigenous people. And in mind, it happens to be indigenous, indigenous and being uh, Christian. Yeah. Bishop, thank you so much for the conversation. Before, I, before we close here, is there anything that we haven't discussed so far that you think it's important for people to know? I, we, you know we've covered quite a bit. I, I just uh, taught and thankful as I travel across the Great Plains of people's uh, uh, desire to learn more about who I am as an indigenous person and as a bishop and, and their uh, just inquisitive nature of, uh, of, 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 of seeing me in this role as a bishop, as an indigenous person, to see uh, all that we have to offer to not just the church and to the conference, but to the world. And that's been uh, fitting, been great for me. When we, you know, at our orders and fellowship meeting, when we ordered the flags for all the nations to come in that are represented by our clergy, I was so, so happy because they ordered the flags of the Choctaw Nation, Cherokee Nation, which are my two tribes. And so I was thankful that they recognized that. And along with the others, I got to we carry know, my we flags. We also uh, had Lakota. You did. We had Lakota. Uh, for, because uh, Tony yes. Serbusik was the first yes. uh, 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 Lakota mm -hmm. uh, pastor ordained in yes. the history of the Great Plains Conference. Yeah. Um, yeah so I mean, like, like I said at the beginning here, it, those were like nations. Yeah. Those were nations. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so uh, the team that put that together uh, made sure that they were part of, part yeah. of the entry uh, people waving the flags and, and walking up to uh, some pretty cool music. And so, yes, yeah, that's that a pr proud, proud moment and, and uh, another moment of uh, the acceptance that people have had of me since I've been here in the Great Plains. I mean, I mean, I mean, that means a lot to me. Yeah. Well, Bishop, thank you so much. Thank you for being here, and uh, thank you for your leadership. Thank you, Todd. I appreciate it.
I'd like to once again thank Bishop David Wilson for taking time out of his incredibly hectic schedule to talk with me about Native American Heritage Month. In the show notes, you'll find links to a blog post that I wrote after the trip to Oklahoma, a link to my photo album from the powwow, and you'll see links to short videos that I was able to produce each day during our trip. I hope you'll consider going along with others from the Great Plains Conference when the next immersion trip to Oklahoma takes place in March of 2024. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps others find us. And if you're so inclined, please share the link to this podcast on your social media channels. Our music and sound effects come via subscriptions to Universal Production Music and to Storyblocks. You can find archived episodes on the conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org podcasts or on my website, toddseifert.com. Please email me with any questions or comments to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. And until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.